Hello and welcome. Thanks everyone for joining Brent and I again this week. It's early April when we're recording this. A lot of things happened in March regarding the macro economy. So we want to spend a few minutes talking through a few of the items that we've seen, a few things that we're thinking about and the implications for the forecast network and some of the questions we have going on there. So to kick this off, Brent, the Fed raised the short-term Fed funds target rate in March after their March meeting or at, during their March meeting, which closed the first interest rate related question we have in the network about what's the probability of the Fed raising the upper limit of the Fed funds rate before the middle or the end of June, 2022. So that's happened. We have two other questions. What's the probability of them significantly increasing that Fed funds rate by the end of 2022 and the probability of long-term rates getting the 10-year treasury getting above 3.5% by the end of the calendar year. So we broke that interest rate uncertainty into three questions, how soon, how aggressive, and what are the impacts to long-term rates? So we have one of those resolved and we'll see how the other two play out in the coming weeks and months ahead of us. So the Fed also, I think, does a pretty good job of sharing their expectations and talking about what they're thinking about. Always encourage folks to go read the minutes from that meeting. It's usually not uh, all that long, but this is four times a year. Once a quarter, they share some projections. And so this is a few highlights out of those projections and assumptions that they're using and that they're thinking about. And Brent, I'm going to kick this off by talking about changes in real GDP. And for 2022, they think the economy is going to hum along. The median expectation was 2.8%, which is pretty good economic growth. Uh, The long-run expectation is 1.8%. So that's a full percentage point above that long-run optimism that the Fed thinks is uh, doable in the U.S. economy. But I want to point out the projection in December was 4%. So a bit of an adjustment there in just how hot the U.S. economy might burn here in 2022. Yeah, I think that's a pretty big shift, pretty big change in how good they think the economy is going to perform. And I think it combined with some of the other forecasts you see on that page are starting to signal, you know, the risks of inflation being a lot higher than they want with, you know, maybe a little less than stellar economic growth. I think it's concerning to most people. Let's talk about the inflation number there. It's the second box if you're watching the video. In December, they had a median projection of 2.6% for the calendar year 2022. So we had the forecast network question linked to that at 3.5%. Now their expectation for PCE in 2022 is 4.3%. So a big adjustment. We might need to write a new question for the forecast network to capture that particular that new outlook, that new outcome. But I think it's kind of reflective of this inflation number that's been a little bit persistent in its increase, but also staying high. I think um, we've seen the Fed recalibrate their expectations really for the entire last 12 months. Yeah. You know, if you just look over there at the range in 2022, it was for December, their projections, the range was from 2% to 3.2%. It's now 375 to 5.5. And that may even be, you know, conservative. So it is clear, you know, we're getting a lot more inflation and their expectation or their view of inflation is changing very rapidly. Uh, These are big changes. And I think they're problematic 
because I think a lot of them are driven by supply shocks and things that they can't necessarily control and are going to be difficult for them to manage. It's going to make inflation difficult to manage. And I was reading a book about the Russian hacking called The Sandworm. It's a really interesting book. It has a lot, interestingly, set in Ukraine. I started reading this book before the conflict, and uh, it looks a lot more relevant now. And it talks about when one of these cyber weapons hit the shipping company Maersk, which is one of the world's largest shipping companies, and it shut them down for something like 10 days. But the impacts of that shutdown lasted, in some cases, for up to three months. And so that's how tight the global kind of shipping transport system is working. And it just made me realize how hard it's going to be. If it took months to recover from one company, 10 days, how long is it going to take for us to recover from all of them for months, which is what happened in the pandemic. And I just think these supply shocks are going to last longer than almost anybody thought they would. And we're going to be dealing with this, inflation for a while and then you throw on top of it a conflict involving one of the world's largest commodity exporters russia and you've got recipe for a mess and it's going to put the fed in a very difficult spot because it's almost getting to the point the only way you can get this inflation under control is to take a major recession not a slowdown which is what you know powell kept talking about was Oh, we can engineer this, you know, inflation down slowly. I think it's starting to wonder if that is going to happen. I think the important thing to keep your mind is that the Fed does not have a lot of tools to think about supply shocks. You know, when we think about a recession, the Fed usually has a lot of tools to think, how can we get, you know, consumers confidence back? How can we get uh, firms making investments? And I think this is a much harder problem and we don't have like, we said earlier, don't have a lot of tools to think about that. Let's talk a little bit about that last category that we've zeroed in on, the Fed funds rate. We mentioned that it has increased. The midpoint of that has increased. The Fed back in December had a median expectation of a midpoint for 2022 of 0.9, and their current projection is 1.9. So again, similar to the inflation, that's a pretty big increase. Uh, and as I mentioned earlier, if you look at the range of expectations all the way over here, back in December, the range of projections was 0.4 to 1.1. Now the range is 1.4 to 3.1. So basically the most aggressive forecast in December is now very, very low. And so they have, so the most aggressive would now be super conservative uh, and how much they have moved the field goal lines there or the first down chains there. Pretty big adjustment in expectations for the Fed. Huge, huge changes. And yeah, I think it, <laughs> the big question I think is going to be, you know, how will the economy tolerate and how will markets tolerate uh, those kind of changes? And 
interest rates and as well as you know what happens with the other supply shocks that are going on and can they get resolved and how soon do they get resolved and it's just overall it's looking like a tough spot the supply shocks keep coming and i think you and i were trading emails about this we had the trade war which was a, a bit of a supply shock then the pandemic was a major supply shock and now the energy and commodity price supply shock stemming from the sanctions and the war in Ukraine. This is not just a one-off thing. These supply chain strains have been lingering for a while or brewing for a while. I remember after the trade war, talking about how much nails went up in expense for hardware stores and for contractors. And then, of course, uh, lumber prices were going through some adjustments because of tariffs with Canada. And then during the, the housing boom that was going on during the pandemic. And so everything's just been a little bit adjusting over time. Another chart that I want to point out here is a little bit different. It's the same data we talked about earlier, the midpoint of target range of the Fed funds rate. Again, this is another way of looking at how wide expectations are. So the first on the left is the year 2022, and it shows all of the individual forecasts and the distribution of those forecasts. And what's interesting is you can see 2023 and 2024 and the long run. And Brent, you mentioned that as we were looking at this slide earlier before we hit record, the Fed is starting to expect that this target rate for the Fed funds is going to exceed the long-term rate. And so I think that's an important signal to think about and keep in mind. Yeah, it's I, I don't recall seeing that very often. Just off the top of my head, maybe it does happen more than I think, but you know, clearly signaling that they're gonna have to take rates higher than the, what they believe to be the long-term rate. And so it just tells you kind of what the economic situation is and it's suggesting probably some turmoil in the macro economy yet to come. So as I look at this also, I think we think about where we are today and where the bottom of the range of expectations is, is probably another, at least another hundred basis points of movement. And then if you look at even the range, there's 150 or more basis points of range within the Fed's expectations. And so kind of a hundred points is probably likely. And then another 150 points on top of that, I guess is possible. So thinking about the range of possible outcomes is pretty significant, I think, to keep in mind. Yeah. And I think these tend to be conservative. I think they tend to be, you know, not wanting to put out for the end is near signs, scare people. (laughs) Um, So anyway, think about the Armageddon movie, the guy was walking around the end is near sign. Yeah. You don't really want to have that role. I mentioned earlier, one of our other forecast network questions is the probability of the longer term rates, such as the 10 year maturity, uh, 10 year treasuries getting two or above 3.5%. And uh, it's a high watermark. And one of the things we've just been thinking about a lot is how much that longer term interest rates have moved in the last 12 to 18 months. And as you can see, when the Fed raised interest rates, they jumped up. Uh, We saw these long-term rates really uh, jump higher. Long-term rates are now above where they were before the pandemic recession. And so we're uh, last time we saw this 2.5% mark, was somewhere in the spring of 2019. And so we've seen a big adjustment in these long-term rates. And so I think that's, and long-term rates are probably more impactful and more relevant to US agriculture than the Fed's short-term rates. So we get hyper-focused on the short-term rates. It can be these long-term rates that have bigger implications for the ag sector. 
Yeah, and uh, I may be too pessimistic. I don't have a very high forecast of this going over 3.5%, a 25% chance. Uh, I might be too pessimistic. I mean, we've moved 100 basis points already. I'm skeptical that the economy would be able to handle it, and I think it would cause lots of problems. But we'll see, I guess. The other thing, though, that is really important to realize is that, as you were telling me and pointing out, you know, this is creating really negative real interest rates. I mean, we've got inflation running. Let's define that real quick, Brent. What are negative real interest well, rates? Well, if you take the rate, you know, say the short-term rate and subtract the inflation rate, that's kind of the real rate that you're borrowing at. So you're getting some of that interest that you're paying back in the form of cheaper money. And right now those are negative and that creates a big incentive to borrow money. They're as negative as they've been for a long time right now. I mean, I don't recall seeing them this negative for quite some time. So it's um, just a a really uh, wild macroeconomic situation. One that is probably not sustainable for very long. I don't think. The markets can be irrational for, there's a quote about the markets can be irrational longer than you can remain liquid or, so the warning sign there is, you know, you'd hate to bet on how long that it could stay, what seems like an unsustainable situation. Absolutely. I mean, you're hundred percent right. You probably shouldn't say it quite the way I said it, but you got to think that negative real rates existing for a long time is something will probably change. Now, what changes? Who knows? There could be lots of different things that cause that situation to change. And we're writing, working on an article here. Uh, it'll be up probably as folks are listening to this. One thing we want to point out here is the last time we saw negative real interest rates that were widespread was, uh, anybody want to guess? Of course, 1970s, where we had this environment of high inflation and uh, combinative policies coming out of the Fed. And so this combination of low interest rates in the economy and high inflation is a very unique and uncharted territory. I think it's one that's overlooked. I think people aren't, I think people, I guess they hear like, oh yeah, yes, that's going on. That's true. But they're not, it's a pretty rare phenomenon. I don't think people are thinking uh, or have thought about that a whole lot. So to wrap this recording up, Brent, we wrote a new article at the end of March called The Problem with, quote, locking in low interest rates, end quote. And and this happened to me. I was talking with a grower and had a good conversation about where we thought the future of interest rates would go. And it came back as, well, that's good because you know I bought a farm because I wanted to lock in low interest rates. And I think one of the pieces to keep in mind is there's several ways you can lock in low interest rates and probably... The idea of buying something to lock in low rates is not a good strategy. Now, the financing tool you use should be secondary, right? So is this something that I want to make an investment in? Yes or no? And then if it's yes, how should I think about financing that? And I think we see even in the broader economy, advertisements for you know lock in low interest rates and buy a home today or you know lots of ideas feeding into this locking low interest rates. So we shared a few other ideas about ways that folks can lock in low interest rates. And Brent, I think one that I wanted to mention, and you can talk about any of these or all of these, is the idea of variable versus fixed interest rates. I think a lot of times we think about, well, of course I want fixed interest rates for my farmland. But if you think back the last 
20 years, probably variable rates were the better the cheaper financing option, think fixed rates, because we remember back to the 1980s and when those rate changes were significant and how that created a lot of pain. So there's another step we can take this one step farther and we can think about, okay, what's the overall structure of my farm debt look like? How much long-term debt do I have versus short-term debt? And maybe you lock in fixed rates with some longer-term debt and not necessarily using any more total debt, um, but thinking about the types of debt that you're using and your ability to lock in rates versus you know shorter term variable rate type loans. Yeah, and I think that gets to the the discussion where it needs to go, which is it's very difficult to it's not difficult to bet on what interest rates are going to be, but it it's difficult to know to have an advantage, say in knowing where interest rates are going to go, but having a variable versus a fixed interest rate changes the risk profile that you face. And so I think those should always, I always encourage people to think about them as a risk management tool, as opposed to, well, I'm going to bet that I can fix it cheaper than variable or, or whatever. You want to think about what's the risk I'm taking if I'm wrong one way or the other. And I think that changes your perspective on it and gets you focused in the more thing that you can control or where you might have an advantage. You know, is this a good farm to buy or not? Is this a reasonable price for it? Yes or no. Then the financing, as you said, is a tool to achieve that goal as opposed to saying, oh, I'm going to buy it because I think interest rates are going up. Well, that is a different kind of bet. And on top of it, sometimes buying it at low interest rates and they go up. If you bought a bond and rates go up, the value of your bond is going to fall a lot. And farmland is kind of like a bond in that respect. It's a little different, but it has some characteristics that are similar. So you think about, you know, if rates are a lot higher in the future, the valuation of that farm is going to be different, other things equal. And so, Again, I, I like to get people off of, you know, focusing on the rate as much as what's the risk management profile, what's the risk management profile in your farm, and can you improve that or are you comfortable with it? And if you don't have hardly any variable rates and you have one, it's probably not going to be the determining factor whether you have financial difficulty. If you have a whole lot of variable rates and rates change a lot, it could be a big risk to you. And so you really need to think through the risk side of it, I think. I think to expand that idea just a little bit, I probably didn't do a good job of setting that up is, you know, if you're using all real estate debt and no, say, operating line of credit, or using 100% operating line of credit and no real estate, that can have an impact on the idea of how variable and how fixed is your debt structure over the long term. I think that's the point that you really need to think about is, how do we balance that risk? Because yeah, you might have locked in rates on equipment for the next two or three years, but after that debt rolls off, how do you reissue debt or you take on new debt that has a different rate structure? And so that's, I think, the thing to really keep in mind. So great article. Take a, um, I guess we're biased, but uh, we enjoyed writing that article. I encourage you to take a look at that, or read that, think about that, share that with some friends and colleagues. But that's all we have for today's recording. Thank you all for stopping in. Of course, as always, update those forecasts and we'll catch you in the meantime. Stay curious. Thanks. 